This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Rob Bredo is the Chief Creative Officer at Industrial Light & Magic, the visual effects company that's famous for creating the effects for countless classic films like the Star Wars movies, the Jurassic Park series, and just about any other major film with visual effects. Bredo is responsible for the company's overall creative strategy, technology roadmap, PR, and marketing. He first trained for the world of computer animation by learning a lot about computer science itself. At the time that I was going to school, there were very few colleges and universities that had programs where you could learn computer programming and computer graphics at the same time. They were out there, but I only knew of CalArts, and I couldn't quite get it to work out to get into CalArts. So I ended up getting a really strong background in computer science and the technical side of it through my schooling. And then I was lucky enough to get an internship, actually, at a little now-defunct company called Vision Art Design and Animation that was based in Santa Monica. And I was working alongside some amazing artists. In fact, some artists who had gone to their training at CalArts and were teaching me just a lot about the creative and the artistic side of the business. So I would say my background started primarily technical, but I've always been really passionate about using technical processes, using various processes to create pictures. His initial professional work in virtual production dates well back to the 90s, before it was even called virtual production. My first experience with motion capture and virtual production tools was at that company, Vision Art Design and Animation, that I first started my career. And back before real-time optical motion capture was a thing, we were setting up one of the world's first real-time optical motion capture for entertainment in a system that we used for Godzilla, Roland Emmerich's Godzilla film. when we were using a system with active markers and highly calibrated cameras that could actually track a character moving in real time. And we had all the systems set up all the way through a Silicon Graphics Onyx workstation that could give us a pretty decent real-time preview of what those characters look like. It produces images four times the quality of your normal TV picture, so I'm seeing much crisper pictures than you are. And astonishingly, all these images are happening in real time. Bredo also worked on the Polar Express a motion-captured virtual production which starred Tom Hanks in a number of different roles and was directed by Robert Zemeckis. That was relatively early in the evolution of the virtual production tools. If you think of the other kind of things that were happening in that era, to do a whole movie with motion capture and virtual cameras, it was one of the first times that it had ever been attempted. And there was a lot of engineering brand new tools for that system. We were still at the early days where the real-time previews that the computer could provide, the GPU power in the machines, was pretty limited. So it required building everything once for real-time and keeping that working in systems like Motion Builder and other real-time systems. And again, for the finished version of the project. And Bob Zemeckis asked Sony Imageworks to do, at the beginning of that show, several different tests to figure out how best to accomplish creating that film. And initially we thought maybe we would photograph a dressed set with real actors and then put a painterly look over it to mimic the look of the pastel rendering in the Chris Van Halsberg books. We shot some material and we did some painterly looks over the top of it and it looked pretty great. But then once Bob Zemeckis got a chance to direct uh, what he called directing in the round, which was directing on the motion capture stage and being able to 
set his virtual cameras in post after he got the performance he was looking for from his actors. So he could direct it with the idea that he could use it from any angle, get the performance he wants, circle those takes, and then could later go in and put his cameras in in post. That was the freeing thing that he really loved and definitely set the feel of that movie. He would direct all day. Then he'd go upstairs to where we had what we called the wheels room, which was a room with some pan and tilt wheels and some other controls to be able to add virtual cameras to the material that they had shot that day. He could cut together a rough edit, shoot all of his coverage, provide that to editorial, and do that tight loop back and forth that he really appreciated being able to capture the different moments separately. And it was really fun to get to be a part of that film. Another early project Bredo worked on was an animated feature about surfing penguins called Surf's Up. That was designed to have the feel of an animated documentary. So we really wanted the camera to be another character in that movie, even though it was all animated. So why are you guys here to interview me? It's what we do. We're a reality film crew. So we set up a real-time capture system so that we could perform our cameras on the animation and we could react to what the penguins were doing and get some of those happenstance moments, that stuff that feels like live action, that you get those happy accidents to make that film have a really unique feeling. We actually have a little camera attached to the top of the camera itself. It senses its surrounding environment. There was a lot of technology that had to come together and there weren't a lot of people who had done that, especially for the scale of an entire animated feature film where you're doing an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes of animation. So that was really fun to get to explore and to see how it really changed the way we approached the film. The very first shot that we blocked in with the handheld camera on Surf's Up was the shot where Big Z's broken surfboard washes up on the shore. Today, the world of surfing lost one of its legends. And we had blocked it out in storyboards. We had done the rough layout process, which is keyframing a camera and the surfboard washing up on shore in Maya. Then we got onto our little office where we had set up the handheld camera. We set up the shot and tried to do the camera move as we felt it would be natural based on all the planning and the boards that had taken place. And we just couldn't figure out a way to get a natural camera move. And James Williams, who was our head of layout on the show, who was operating, he said, you know what? Let me just try one without trying to copy what we had done in the storyboards and in the rough layout. Let me just try what I would do if, if I saw a board washing up on shore. So he rotated his hips 90 degrees and he kind of set up the shot so that he was looking straight out to the ocean. He tilted down, caught the surfboard as it washed ashore, and then the shot was tilting up and then zooming in to find Big Z in the background. And the very first time he shot it, just imagining what he would do if he was naturally on the beach, we got a completely different shot. Rado collaborated with Steven Spielberg on Ready Player One, a meta-movie about the intense proliferation of virtual reality experiences in a future society's daily life. Ready Player One was a dream come true. This is the Oasis. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination. It was the first time that I got to meet Steven Spielberg and get to work on one of his shows, be involved in one of his shows. And at the time, for me personally, I was spending a lot of time in ILM XLab, our division that is really focused on immersive experiences and storytelling in immersive experiences. So I was involved in the project getting to wear that hat early on. And there were all sorts of amazing opportunities to cross the streams between what was happening in virtual reality and in real life in our days today, because that was really in the era, you know, just that many years ago. 
virtual reality headsets were just hitting the mainstream. They were certainly affordable. We could use them as a filmmaker tool. We could also use them to create cohesive experiences end-to-end, and there was all sorts of opportunities to really leverage all those technologies, all the things we've known and had been doing for many years in motion capture, virtual camera tracking, real-time previews, all of those kind of things could be done on the film. But there were also opportunities to take advantage of a virtual reality environment to be able to preview environments, to be able to scout environments for really the very first time. Although Ready Player One was made in 2017, it embraced real-time game engine technology which would soon revolutionize virtual production with The Mandalorian. So this is a Mandalorian. I thought they'd be bigger. Looking back, even starting with Ready Player One, we've really been able to heavily leverage both our traditional virtual production tool set at ILM and the best of the game engine technology. And one of the philosophies, which I just love here at ILM, is that it's really about the best tool for the job. And what you can do today in the game engines, in Unreal Engine, is incredible. And there are so many parts of our process that it really changes to be able to redress your set and see the results instantly with lighting, or make dynamic changes to environments very quickly. It is completely transforming some of the workflows in our processes. And then in addition to that, some of the virtual production tools we have at ILM that we've been building on, if you date all the way back to, say, like AI, which was the very first time that... We had used a virtual production system to track a live action camera on a real set for Steven Spielberg. David, you are one of a kind. You know that? Today, that's pretty commonplace to track a camera and be able to put in a virtual background live. But you go back to the year 2000, 2001, that was brand new technology to be able to make that work on an actual shooting set. So the legacy of those tools and some of those things that have been developed for many years actually continue to feed into our workflows today. And we truly do try to always choose like the right tool for the job, the right piece. And sometimes that's absolutely like leveraging the latest innovations in the game engines. And sometimes it's leveraging like the production hardened systems that already know everything there is to know about track management and take management and all the things to make sure that you can scale up to do these massive shows that require all of that infrastructure in addition to the newest tools that we have available at our disposal. Grado worked on Solo, a Star Wars story, which pioneered live rear projection with real-time elements to capture in-camera visual effects. It was my first Star Wars movie. It was my first chance to visual effects supervise a show hands-on that was that ambitious. And one of our goals was to capture as much in-camera work as possible. The theme of that movie was to really make the movie feel grounded as if it was shot in the years leading up to the original Star Wars movies. Of course, we didn't actually use 1970s technology. We used the latest and greatest tools, but we tried to use as many of those in-camera techniques as possible. And we were able to build on work that had been done in the years leading up to Solo. So for example, John Knoll and Greg Frazier on Rogue One had done a lot of serious work to make it possible to shoot with LED lighting in some of the cockpit scenes and some of those other scenes. Stick close, Red Five. Where are you going? And that was the first time we had done it on a Star Wars film to really get that immersive lighting. So as the planes are going through their motions, you're getting this amazing lighting on the actors' faces, which was fantastic. But if you go back to Rogue One, the LED screens weren't quite at a resolution where you could point the camera at them and put it straight into the movie. So by the time Solo came around, we used a mixture of technologies 
rear projection screens with multiple laser projectors on RP screens and LEDs and front projection as well to be able to create things that we would have normally done with blue or green screen. We did a lot less of that and a lot more with direct in-camera photography. So for example, the entire Kessel run is shot on the Millennium Falcon cockpit with a wraparound rear projection screen. And Ron Howard could direct that movie, that portion of the movie, 20 minutes of the movie, he could direct it end to end. And everything you see in the movie was either final quality on the screen or was leading up to final quality, like either previous or other work in progress. So the actors had something to act against. The DP had something to light with, and it really changed the way we photographed that sequence. Here we get in. Oh, hell bandit. Special dynamic visual effects elements help the filmmakers create a more immersive environment for the actors on Solo. It was mostly pre-rendered footage, footage that we'd created at ILM, usually a very high resolution like 8K by 4K. And what you would see on the screen is what you could directly photograph and put in the movie. But it wasn't being rendered real time in that we had a lot of different layers in the way we had built that scene up. So for the sequences where we're fighting with TIE fighters and other things are happening, we had dynamic elements, both in just terms of like big light flashes and things like that, but also actual blaster fire that we could cue on demand. Either Ron Howard or I or the gaffer would be sitting there with a button triggering different colors of interactive lighting and elements that would fly into the scene so that we could cue that specifically for the action that was taking place in the scene and make changes on the day. All of the work Bredo accomplished over the years came together during The Mandalorian, one of the most ambitious virtual productions ever attempted. We were very fortunate to get to work with Jon Favreau on The Mandalorian, and he had just finished doing two big virtual production projects, and he was really sold on that workflow that he had helped to create, really, for The Jungle Book. Relax, kid. No need to get worked up, okay? And then following on from that, uh, The Lion King. Simba? Is that really you? Yeah! And there was all sorts of creative opportunities he really liked in leveraging virtual production. And there were all sorts of things he wanted to duplicate. But he was going from, well, on Lion King, an all-CG film, to something that was going to be live action. And he really wanted to leverage the best of all the worlds. So I was very fortunate to get to have meetings with him early on and as we were all brainstorming the various approaches to this. And there were all sorts of different ideas about the ways to leverage the latest innovations, both from the game engine technology and building on all of the success that we had all seen in virtual production. And so John was very supportive of this. And I showed him some of the latest work that we had achieved, some of the latest tests we had done in addition to the work that we had achieved on Solo with LED screens and rear projection screens. And we talked about the idea that somebody is going to be the first to build a giant LED set and photograph one of these shows inside this. And we thought we were just about at the time where the LED technology was far enough along and we could put together enough compute power to be able to generate these backgrounds in real time, not just pre-rendered. And he was in for that. Kathy Kennedy was in for that. It took a big investment and it was a bit of a gamble. I think all of us saw that the pieces were there but no one had ever put them together, certainly not at this scale. And to make it work on a real production that had an aggressive shooting schedule was definitely a challenge, but we didn't have a plan B. We all set out to do this. Ironically, the in-camera LED wall technique was initially not expected to be usable on most shots, but worked out much better than anyone expected. 
what we hoped was that some percentage of the shots that we were able to photograph on the LED stage would be able to go straight into the film. And there were all sorts of estimates. We were hoping 10% or 20%. But by the end of that first season, we did an accounting of the shots we had shot on the volume and what percentage of them went straight into the series and what percentage needed some other work to be done. Sometimes it was a paint out. Sometimes it would be adding a CG character. And we got over half the shots that we shot in that LED volume. They were able to go straight into the show. And it really had a big impact on the look of the show. The DPs, Greg Frazier and Baz, were able to really take advantage of the tool set that we could provide digitally to them within StageCraft to get the kind of lighting that they were looking for. Things like being able to shoot Magic Hour for hours on end, the ability to customize the scenes to really visually tell the story was just amazing. And and we got to go to lots of different planets, which of course would have been hard to do if we would have had to take the whole crew around to various places to get some of these locations. So we could bring the locations to them, which was super exciting. And building sets, or even before we're building our digital sets that are going to go in behind, because all of that in a StageCraft LED show, all of that has to happen at the same time. We're building our digital sets at the same time as the physical sets are being built. So having those virtual production tools working in that pre-production process is incredibly important so that everybody's on the same page and building towards the same goal. As they have with countless other projects, ILM took everything they'd learned creating season one of The Mandalorian and poured it into the next season. When we dove into season two with Jon Favreau, he had a long list of things that he just wanted to blow out of the water. Because of course, we were all celebrating the success of season one, but the innovation just does not slow down at all. So we built a larger volume and it was higher resolution. And at some point you actually run into the limitations of how fast the render computers could fill all that screen space with incredibly high resolution data. So the engineers at ILM actually built a very specific render engine that was designed just for doing the kind of things we do most often on our StageCraft sets. And it allowed us to render at 10 or even 20 times the render resolution that we'd been able to achieve before, and even more scene complexity and even more accurate lighting. So all those things came together for us on season two. And it's really exciting to see the way that where we had to be relatively conservative for the first time out, when we first collaborated with John Favreau on season one, And then by season two, we were trying all sorts of challenging things, and it was really fun to see the level of innovation, both from this perspective of what the R&D team was able to come up with and the way it was being creatively leveraged on set. ILM's pioneering work with LED volumes on The Mandalorian resulted in the creation of its StageCraft system, now in use on other series and on feature projects. Filmmakers of all types are really looking at StageCraft and this new LED technology to see what kind of creative workflows it can enable. We've now done several feature films using LED technology in much the same way that we did on Mandalorian and also leveraging it in different ways, like using it for different styles of shows. There's some people who say, yeah, we're really interested in StageCraft, but our show has a lot more color than what we see in Mandalorian. And we know we might be up against some limits on the LEDs. And I'm the first to say like, oh no, we've turned the color way down to find the look that the DPs and the art department were looking for on Mandalorian. And in fact, those highly saturated colors are something LEDs do extremely well. So there's all sorts of unexplored territories. And we've definitely just scratched the surface of what's possible with this kind of technology, both for films and for series. As someone who's long worked on the cutting edge of virtual production, Bredo still sees massive areas for innovation. 
I'm really excited about what's happening right now in virtual production. It's just amazing to see such an expansion of the visual effects expertises and the things that we've developed over all these years making their way onto set. So the fact that we can, in real time, do the kind of calculations that it used to take five or 10 hours overnight to calculate just one frame, we're doing some of those same calculations at 24 times per second these days, which is just amazing. So I think with the advent of the very first digital dinosaurs that ILM did all those years ago, and the way that CG really changed filmmaking and what was possible to do in filmmaking, I think we're seeing another innovation of that scale here with virtual production technology. That is bringing the post process and some of the artistry that the visual effects artists can bring bringing that into the pre-production process and the production process so everyone can see what they're photographing, everyone can see that interaction between the actors and the digital worlds and the digital characters in new and exciting ways. And I'm just super excited to see the creative opportunities that that's going to open up and the creative uses that directors and supervisors are going to be able to bring to bear with this new technology. There's just all sorts of fun opportunities. As with everyone in the world, the pandemic gave ILM a stress test for all of its procedures and workflows while generating some unique insights. At our San Francisco office, we got notice from the city on a Monday at around noon or one in the afternoon, and we had to be out of the office that night by midnight. We thought it was going to be a couple weeks, and here we are a year later, and we really haven't been back to the office except for a couple of people who have been keeping the lights on, making sure our computers are working. But we've moved to a completely remote workflow, and we were able to pivot and do that very quickly. But I don't think any of us would have imagined that we would be in a remote configuration for this long. And the truth is, the teams at ILM have adapted so incredibly well. It hasn't been without challenges, for sure, but we are finding that we are just as efficient in this configuration. We wish we were in person, but there's some amazing trade-offs and people are highlighting things that we never want to go back to in some ways of collaborating that are working extremely well. We all can't wait to get back in the office and see each other and be able to have coffee and tea together. But it is exciting to have learned so much in this pandemic scenario. And I think when you look at the virtual production tools and what they've enabled, we just did a shoot the other day where we had two actors, one of whom also had skills as a motion capture operator, we had two actors in on the stage and everyone else was remoted in, remote controlling those workstations and doing all the recording of a full motion capture shoot with a director, with all the normal roles, but everyone was safely controlling that shoot and directing that shoot from the safety of their own homes, which is not something we would have imagined would have been able to be done this smoothly and efficiently. It really is opening new opportunities for people to connect no matter where they are in the world. That's one of the silver linings that we've learned through this pandemic experience. listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Rob Bredo from ILM, for joining us. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. 
The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Able Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without Descript, the most fun you'll ever have editing audio as text. Try it now at descript.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or a guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again and see you next time.